Hey, what's going on? This is your girl, Madam Butterfly, and you are listening to another episode of Frequency Day. Uh, I know that I've been gone for a minute, um, and for that I'd like to apologize. I uh, have been slightly on the busy side for the last few months, um, and I just needed a break. I'll be honest with y'all, just need a fucking break. Um, I... Uh, have been looking for, you know what I mean, topics that I am interested in bringing to the forefront when it comes to, um, a podcast, and, um, it's not even that I ran out of, you know what I mean, um, content, it's more so that I, uh, really don't care to hear myself talk all the time, and, um, I mean, like, if, if I've got something to say, then I'll speak. If I don't, then, like, I don't really see the point. And I, for the last few months, have had other things kind of just in my, I guess, scope of life. And I've been more preoccupied with that. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll talk more about that after this particular episode. And this particular episode is about... Um, the general obsession with um, performative masculinity. And uh, I want to piggyback off of this particular uh, podcast episode with um, a conversation about performative femininity and how that works and kind of how that uh, manifests itself. And, um, so really I, I came across a interview with, um, Isaiah Rashad and Joe Button on, on TikTok and, uh, I gave it a bit of a listen. I've listened to some of it or I got, I got the chance to listen to some of it, but I haven't finished it completely. And, uh, I'm definitely interested in listening more to, uh, this, 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 this podcast episode that Joe Button had um and I find it kind of interesting because I from what I heard originally about this podcast episode was that um Mr. Joe Button had a lot to say about Mr. Uh, Isaiah Rashad and his sexuality and it I, I find that kind of ironic because isn't this the same man that he was pining at one point over a trans woman um, I don't know, these super ultra masculine men who are super ultra cis and super ultra straight, like, like they, <laughs> there's something else. They really, are. um, I personally, like, I love the gay, bi, trans, uh, the, I, I, I appreciate the non-binary and trans men who are, you know what I'm saying, out of the closet. Uh, I know that there's like a whole, um, there's a whole spectrum, well not, I, I guess I won't say spectrum, but there's a whole like industry of uh, men who are not out of the closet, who love to have sex with uh, trans girls, and who love to have sex with gay men on the D.O., uh, behind closed doors, and, um, I would love to see the day where that is dispelled, 
where men feel comfortable having sex with other men and have feel comfortable having sex with trans women because i mean trans women are women and it is what it is you feel me but um yeah anyway i, I definitely want to get into um this uh this this podcast episode because i feel like a lot of really good points are brought up with isaiah rashad round of applause channeling this zen that I've been trying to channel recently in, in all of my interviews and my podcasts and yeah. this really like peaceful place at the time well how the hell do you get how do you get there uh, therapy therapy psychiatrist a little bit, and a little bit of you know just talking to the homies and it's a general mantra you know what I'm saying one day at a time don't take too many things too seriously I can only handle you're in therapy actively yeah you ever stop for a little bit, and then that was a terrible time, actually, when you were just, like, I, did, I wouldn't go to therapy, like, the past, probably, like, last year, some last year, and probably should have stayed in, basically, in YBD. Did, well, no, it was probably, like, a couple, like, like a year, year or two ago, I, did, I just wasn't keeping up with the schedule, thinking I could handle stuff on my own type of stuff, you know, you get the idea that you could just carry everything by yourself, and schedule everything by yourself, and end up falling off. All right, you know, I'm a therapy baby myself, so I don't want to start with therapy. Okay. Uh, let's see, we're here. You were born. I want to start with everything that happened in between. Yeah. I want to start with uh, your upbringing, your parents, mom, dad, siblings, household. I want to start there. I, uh, I guess it was a blended, blended family. My family, mostly like my stepdad, my brothers. I got like it's 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 a long story, bro. With that, like to be honest, my my family's dysfunctional. Like my home life was cool. Like my home life was probably like this the safety, this serenity of my life was having a stepdad and having a mom with similar backgrounds. And I said destruction on both sides to come together and try to create a place for me and my little brothers to be safe. Why do you? Why where did you? Where did you get so privy with the destruction or the dysfunction? Like every child, like, all all of my parents, like my parents, my dad, my stepdad, my stepmom, all their parents left them, one or the other, or somebody died, or it was a tragedy, and my my brother, my mom's lost like her sisters and stuff, and everybody got different dads, you know, just yeah. not to say like a stereotypical thing, because I hated that's a stereotypical thing, but, but pain and trauma, pain, yeah, pain and trauma, you know what I'm saying, and they came together and tried to created and cultivated space where it was always peaceful. And that's kind of why I am. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so how's our upbringing at that point with all of this information at such an early age? What do you mean? Like, it sounds like you were privy to a lot. Yeah, I, I was always with my mom. I was always with my mom or with some adult where I solve stuff and they never sugarcoated anything for me. But they, they, always me they always let me know what was going on i was always in the mix as far as like whether whether the bills were being paid or not whether 
as to what type of child he is at this point. Kind of like my mom's little helper. Yeah. Yeah. Type of shit. Dang. My mom's little helper. I'm always, I keep my little brothers, I keep my, keep my little cousins and stuff. Type of stuff. So, now I had a job since I was 13. So, since you were 13. Yeah. What was the job? Parties. Parties. Yeah. Fast food. Yeah. Cashier or working the food. Working to cook uh, the fries and stuff at first, but since I was the youngest and stuff, they put me in the front to work the, work the, uh, the register and all that type of shit. Now, was there pressure to have a job at 13? Hell yeah. My mom was like, I can't afford to pay for your stuff no more. Like, I I, I want to, but I can't afford to do it all. And it was some good, like, my grandma I grew up on some, they all, my mom and them had jobs mm-hmm. by the time they were 13, 14, which is wild to me. But that's just how I grew up. That's how I grew up. I try not to pass it down to like my kids. Like, I don't want them to have a job. I want them to be kids for as long as they can. But that's how I work. That's scary, right? Yeah. I have this fear that you do all of this, you live your life to hand down a better life for your kid, and then your kid be like, I want to do it my own way. <laughs> without without consideration. I don't need your help. No, sure. I, think, I think the important thing is like to instill the stuff in your kid young enough that they find reason to listen to you. I'm, I'm proud that my little kids, my kids still look at me like, I'm saying, well, that's that's good. three of them things, three, mm-hmm. oh, eight, six, and two, about to be two, about to be seven, about to be five. Oh, get out of here, congratulations, thank you, oh, that's a tribe, yeah, 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 that's work, yeah, 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 but it's gotta be fun, it's fun, it's fun, especially like, the girls, the girls, from my oldest son's autistic, and um, that's a challenge. That's a new challenge. Like, it's something I'm not all the way privy to. And I'm, I'm not, like, a fucking expert on it. But shout out to his mom, though, for sure. For, like, taking that, taking that shit way more seriously than he took it when I was really young. Because we didn't really understand it at first. Autism. Yeah, we, especially him being so young, we didn't understand, like, he was just different. Because he couldn't, how somebody tell you a kid autistic and he fucking reading at one? And we thinking he's, like, savant type of shit. We thinking some other stuff. But I don't like, but I'm with you there. I don't like the negative connotation that comes with the word autism. Yeah. Because what, what are we programmed for it to mean? It's just making your kids seem like a pariah or some shit like that or some type of outsider. And it's just, it's yeah, more about us not knowing how to learn other people and read other people versus trying to get them to adjust to us. That seems like what most people try to do anyway. Well, yeah, I had, I had a problem with even learning that y'all were monitoring children from birth to see where they fit yeah. amongst other kids. Like, why you can't let people be individuals? Like, why do we have to have names for things so early? Yes, I'm, I'm, Am I off in that? You're not off in yes. that. Yes. <laughs> told how society said. And the reason I feel like he's off a little bit is just because um, when it comes to stuff like autism, like, you should know as soon as possible. I I believe personally because the thing about autism is that the sooner you catch it, the sooner you can work with it or figure out how to work with it or create an environment for that child to thrive. Um uh yeah. I I guess that's just that's just it. And the other thing I wanted to say is that I, the black community especially, like we don't we don't talk about autism enough and Asperger's enough and the, and the spectrum of Asperger's and the spectrum of autism. It's not it's not as widely known as it should be as compared to, I guess, sickle cell, which is completely different, completely different category, yes. But at the same time, I feel like 
Asperger's and autism is as prevalent and deserves as much uh, treatment and uh, attention personally. Society seems to be set up to fire on the median or the average or the but the outliers kind of ostracized. I'm a creator. I like to look at what society was like before it was designed to be. Yeah, this way. Yeah, hip hop has always been like the story of like like young black man growing up, and now young black men and young black women too. At the core, it's always been like that. It's been like a watching people go from being kids. That's how rappers are from outcasts. You go from watching them being kids, watching you from being a kid from when you first put your shit out to now. That's what rap. Yeah, but when it grew, it became that individual from that town telling his story to now that individual in that town telling their story, and then it just became widespread. And now we got stories from all of these impoverished neighborhoods, right? <laughs> like, I'm learning about so many of the things that Growing up, learn about what niggas going through. Listen to Outkast. Listen yeah. to UGK. Listen yeah. to. So there is no set way for it to go, right? Yeah. I guess when when it felt like people was looking at me, I'm like, uh, it was so. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't used to that type of attention. I'm used to like just getting dropped my music and then you know do my shows. I'm out of here type of shit. And then it's like, oh y'all invested in my personal life. Wow. <laughs> well, aren't all the fans now invested in? I guess it was just people who weren't even listening to the music invested. Well, the casual hip hop is so big now yeah. that the casual fan still wants to be privy to. They want to check your Insta story. They want to. Yeah, you have to be constant, yeah. and that could be annoying. How do you feel? That could be annoying. How do you feel <laughs> as a rapper with privacy is already blurred? People already feel like they should know everything about you. So when there's this shocker, it's like, <gasps> I had no idea y'all was a fan since day one. I'm like, was really anybody business in the first place? That's what I said. There's <laughs> nobody business in the first place. It's like, you know, like, I'm like, it wasn't anything that I felt like. If, if somebody asked me about it, yeah, I'll talk to you about it. I'll talk to plenty of people about it. But when it grew, I was, man, I was eating this chicken salad. There we go. I was eating a chicken salad, and you get a call from Top and Matt at the same time, and that's the weirdest shit, because they don't never, they uh, double FaceTime, I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, I just FaceTime. I'm like, like, what the fuck did I do, bro? You're like, I'm like, okay, he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, off yeah, that, off him just, him starting to say something, I'm like, oh, so it's one of them little sex things leaked, huh? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, did they get the good tape? <laughs> I'm like, like, oh, so you tape a lot. No, this time, like, no. You said, you said that they get the good. We had, we had, we had like, eight, like I got some tapes. It's off the record there. Yeah. Right, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We used to be having fun. We used to have fun. Then young nigga have fun over the past like couple years. I'm thirty, bro. Like, but never with the worry of because you are who you are. Yeah, see, that was the ignorance in me. But that's the only thing I ever fucking think about. I'm like, I don't be understanding. Who I am, I guess, from other people sometimes. But yeah. I also put myself on a pedestal. So, gotta walk a fine line. So, that's so when shit happened to me, I'd be genuinely shocked. I'm like, damn, what? Like, and no one ever had the conversation with you about NDAs when it's time to get in that zone. Nah. You just out here. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, well, I'm sure you realize who you are. Yeah, I, I totally have a grasp of, 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 to an extent now. Yeah. It's been a good reminder. Did they sell it? Nah, I don't even know, bro. I woke up and just saw it. I woke up, no, not woke up, saw it. He sent it to me. And I'm like, damn, well, this is weird. And like, it's coming from Reddit. I'm like, this is super weird. Reddit always get this yeah, shit. Yeah, I'm like, this is super just strange. But then I was like, all right, like, let me just chill for a couple of days and maybe, like, figure out how I feel about this. But then I was kind of pressed about it. I'm like, damn, somebody's trying to hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. But and that kind of put me in, like, a dark place for, like, a couple of weeks. And I had to, like, pull myself out of that. Because I'm human. I was like, damn, this is weird. And then... Everybody was trying to, like, comfort me, which made me feel even more weird, weird, right? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm like, everybody's trying to hug me and say it's okay, and I'm like, what? But isn't that great? Yeah, it was beautiful. That's it's so beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's the only, that's one of the reasons I felt like, okay, It's just not the hip-hop that I gave into, I'll tell you that. You yeah, know, that's gotten so much support. Like, I'm talking about, like, to even today, it was like, yo, I'm proud of you. Like, you understand, like, my little brother so is, or my little cousin is, type of shit. Like, I'm so jealous of that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a hater. It's cool, though. I mean, I I guess if, if, it, if my situation can help anybody, just like anything else that I do, like, I'm, I'm all for it. So even initially, the reception from your base was supportive. Yeah, it was like it's nobody's business in the first place. It was not like about here like denying anything. It's like it's clearly me. It's like it's clearly fucking me. It's clearly me. I saw a little bit of hey, y'all sure that that's no, that's 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 him. That's me. Yeah, that's me. I didn't watch it when uh, everybody else did. I didn't. I didn't care. Like it's not. It's not my business. What everybody do is what they do. God forbid if niggas would just pay for me behind closed doors. Yeah. But then I thought it sh- I shouldn't come do an interview without watching it. And then I watched it. <laughs> I gotta be well versed. Come on. I gotta bro. be well informed with my come shit. On, bro. So I watch it. And I'm like, wait, this is what y'all was all. We gotta get the fuck out of here. I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it was the swaggiest way to do it. If the first couple of days. Was like kind of weird for me. I wrecked my fucking car. Cause I was super in my head. I was like, cause I felt like more so responsible, like for my for my family and stuff. Like my like my grandma was going through like his cancer stuff already. My granddaddy just had a stroke and died. Like it was like in that yeah, RP him like in in that like he died the next day after that shit. So I'm thinking like, did the shock? Did I? Did they leak? Did he see the tape? Did it kill him? It's not a joke, but. No, I understand. Yeah, type of shit. Like, I can laugh at it now, but I was dead ass. I'm like, damn, because he didn't know. He he knew everything, though. He was the one of the last people who told me, like, I, I'm so honest with my family, though. He was like, whatever you do, man, you just got to take care of yourself. That was one of the last things he said to me, period. And then that shit happened, and he called me, and he was like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. Now he's like, you ain't all right. I'm like, I'm going to be all right. So, and then the next day he died. Like, but it's, like, no, it was like two days after that. Damn, that's crazy. Like, you gotta, gotta, gotta get out of check. See something. He's like, okay, yeah, somebody. Yeah, I don't want on vacation too. Uh, Can't really hold vacation stressed out. You know? I knew afterwards that like I'm, I was gonna have to talk to somebody or talk about it, or people were just gonna ask me stuff or come with assumptions. And I had to know in the moment I had to be okay with it. But do you have? Do you have to? If I don't want to act like other people who I see like come outside of themselves because other people, I kind of have to have a conversation with myself. And be like, you know, people aren't gonna. People might treat you different. Or people might say this to you, and it's okay. 
That's on you. It's not on, it's not on me. It's on me how, how I react to stuff or how like yeah. But I had to have a conversation with myself. So do you need to change it all? Hell no. Because that's first and foremost for me is that I can say some hurtful stuff. You go. I mean, like, some of the stuff that was bothering me from, like, conversations that I didn't want to put in the raps. It's like, now it's like, why not? Like, I might as well talk about whatever's been going on. Because I be trying to just save people. Like, you know, in your personal life. Like, when I make a song about something and it got something to do with, like, one of my kids' moms or even my mom or one of my friends, sometimes I put that shit on the floor and say, we're not putting it out. Because that ain't... Yeah, because that's what, you know what I'm saying? But not, the only thing that made me feel like was, well, let me just talk about all my shit. I have a lot of shit that I don't talk about. Part, yo, when you just yeah. stop suppressing and worrying about what somebody's going to think when the song drops. Yeah. Yeah, it could get hurtful for people. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not my aim. I just, like, I feel like now, since, like, all my, the, all the doors in my house have been opened up, I'm like, well, shit, I can, if y'all really want to know some shit, no. No, 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 and no, I am vehemently against that. No, no, no you can't do that. No. Please don't do that. Not like that. I mean, just on like... But you can start going crazy. No, not like that. I mean, I mean like, on some, like, you want to hear my diary? I can rap, I can rap some of my diary, too. But instead of giving you these puzzle raps, I can try to give them to you and make a cap to sit down for a couple of hours and figure it out. Like, I can give you some direct, like, how I feel. Give me the meaning to the house is burning. I mean, it was it was really about like the world. It, it it's it's the idea of if everything in your life is crumbling, would you really go into a burning building to take like just tangible possessions, or would you like, or even ego type of like that? Would you risk your your livelihood over some shit when you can start over? Would you survive? like Jack from This Is Us? Sorry, God. Ran back in the house to get for the, real to get the dog or that type of shit. Yeah, like yeah. I'm. It's, it was because it, it was like a crossroad in my life. Yo, Joe Button is like low key kind of like he's low key kind of lame because these fucking questions are terrible. First of all, second of all, his jokes are not funny, and third of all, um. Like, it really just feels like a, a conversation with two two dudes chopping it up. And, I mean, that's great and all, but I kind of feel like it's missing something, in all honesty. Like, House of Burning was a crossroad making it of, do I want to continue what I'm doing? Or am I willing to try new things? Am I willing to just, like, attempt to fail, I mean, attempt to achieve something and fail, and then start over? Or any of that type of shit. I guess I'm I'm, I'm saying it kind of wrong. I'm saying it kind of wrong, but really, I think I understand. What yeah, you're it's going it's now. the idea. Of, are, are you willing to start over? The house is burning. Is it, are you willing to start over? Destroy or are you and rebuild. Just wrestling with a lot of the things I fought with when I was. Isaiah Rashad might be dyslexic. Dyslexic, or however the fuck you say it. I too am dyslexic, so I can understand what he means. But like he's yeah, this is this is interesting grappling with retirement like hey this is the only thing i know like how willing are you to just put the pen and paper down no more songs start from scratch go learn something figure it out experiment like that yeah i get that well i understand this is your lifestyle so you're accustomed to it 
you do understand how this is an abnormal story for hip-hop and the fans of hip-hop and why people may have been confused. So he just sat there and said um, something along the lines of fucking, oh, well, you got to be go to be. <laughs> He's contradicting himself because he just talked about how people have to be able to go outside of the box and try something different. And in the same breath, he's identifying this man's sexuality and talking about it and saying how it's something new for hip-hop. Well, maybe this is exactly what hip-hop needs. I mean, looking at this man, Isaiah Rashad, you would not guess off top that he was his sexuality or he was sexually fluid. Um, but whether he is or not, it's his business. And whether or not he chooses to implement that in his, his artwork and his music, that's also his business. story breaking yeah i understand you can speak to your understanding of it it's it's not in the everyday household something normal which is i don't come from everyday household so stuff that uh, stuff is easy for me to understand or stuff that i don't take is uh you know what i'm saying is a big thing i do understand it not everybody prepared for it and i gotta have respect for other people's views so oh what the fuck did i just say Okay, but there still would have to be, like, a shock factor for you involved. Yeah, like, well, immediately before... I don't like how... <sighs> Cis men are not the end-all, be-all when it comes to motherfucking knowledge about the hip-hop community. I am almost positive that they have, there have been gay men within the hip-hop community throughout the the birth of of fucking hip-hop up until now i'm pretty sure there's been at least a handful like i i i feel like he should tread a little bit lighter than, than what he's doing right now joe button um because he's coming off as a bit of an asshole because, because i know that people like wouldn't understand, and everybody doesn't think like me, I'm, that doesn't guard me from not being sensitive to the comments from, like, for every positive thing, there's somebody calling me on my name or something like that. And it made me pretty, it kind of got to me for a little bit. I had to stop mm-hmm. even, like, looking at that type of stuff. Or even because that's where we start getting into maybe some real underlining issues in hip-hop with homophobia or how so- certain things are viewed. Yeah. Where, like, See, I wouldn't think that there's this wave of people that are now disrespecting you or calling you out of your name or now just taking your personal life and making uh. it or weaponizing it. Yeah. And I, and I felt like kind of like responsible for, for my peers and my friends around me because like for their association of being affected by me, that, that sent me to a dark place for real. Like when it first came out, I totally fell off the wagon and was drinking and wreck my car, just trying to kill myself. Mm. I was gonna get into that car wreckage situation. Yeah, I wrecked both of them. Two cars. Two men, really. Two, two different ones. Yeah, off the same type of stuff. Like, it took me, it took me to a real dark place. I felt responsible for, like, the label, for my for my family, for them having to explain, or to, them just having to explain stuff on my behalf. Like, it made me feel 
I feel like you can hit. I like I fucked up. I feel like I fucked up. Like, not preparing everybody. Just, just my mom and my, my, my folks knowing. So, like, them being out of the loop, is, it, I feel like I hurt, hurt my people's stones. I was because their lives are now also affected. Yeah. And that can become tumultuous. Yeah, and, and knowing that, like, this is people's livelihoods outside of my own and how this can affect it. I I didn't know how to take it in at the time. Okay, so we have two separate car accidents. Yeah. Are we intentionally trying to hurt ourselves at this point? Definitely the first one. The second one was I was so still in such a whirlwind of emotion and how am I gonna make this okay for my family? At this time, after after a thousand messages, man, and negative ones, not just the good ones, I started actually thinking about my kids, and like, like gonna, the internet's gonna live, my kids gonna see this in a couple of years, somebody's gonna pick on my kid and do this to my son or my daughter, and it started like just sitting and making me feel a different way about it. Do you think any of that is related to uh, shame? Yeah, I don't even know. I, responsibility, more than anything else, because even if my kids are equipped to understand and, and have a, a similar mindset of of, t- of one accepting other people, but and, and having the intent of protecting other people that doesn't mean that like somebody's gonna protect them from some some kid getting at them over their dad or somebody getting at them. Well, over yeah. profound point. That's why I'm asking what I'm asking. I'm asking that because I kind of identify, and when I've had those dark thoughts about. Self-transitioning. Yeah. I always get to my kids. And if I how if I do that, the protector of my kids will no longer be here. So that's an interesting, interesting irony there. Did that thought ever cross your mind? Selfishly, while I was behind the wheel of that car, man, I thought I thought it would be to say benefit at first. I'm like, because I was feeling so low about myself, because I, I looked at these highs and these lows of feeling like invincible, just feeling like this is the worst, you know what I'm saying, yeah, it's the worst, and at that moment I felt like they'd be better off without me, mm-hmm. like to, to go through this situation and to, to get through it, they'd be better off just without me being around. How do you combat that? Every day is a constant reminder. What's that, ther- what's that therapy session like? Sure, that's intense. I don't know. I don't know how to describe what the feeling of feeling like losing self worth is. But is, is it imaginary? Mm. No, because you feel it. It hurts. You feel it. You get. You feel it. It actually hurts. So no, I would not call it imaginary at all. I phrase it that way because I look at it like I look at it like when I'm trying to describe depression to someone that doesn't have it, I said, imagine seeing and feeling things that aren't there all the time, but they are there because it's real to you, it's real, but for these people, you can never imagine what I'm going through because you don't see it, you're not exposed. A lot of people don't know what it feels like to be alone in a room full of people. Why do depressed people make the best music? We got enough time with our emotions probably to to understand some of them better than other people. And do you think your music would sack would suffer if you weren't made up this way? 
Actually, guys, I think now at like 30, I'm just now getting experiences under my belt where I can put it on wax, and, like, and that could be a benefit outside of just how I was feeling. And that's what my bad, that's what the house is burning was different for me. For it was like one of the first times I had experiences behind stuff versus just feelings and wanting to achieve something in a certain area. That's how it sounded. Yeah. That's how it sounded. Like some of the earlier projects sounded like you had a path. But if the house is burning, sound like, nah, he's lived. He's lived something since last time we heard him. You mentioned the two car accidents. But are those the times you speak of when you're talking about wanting to kill yourself? Now, I, yeah, I, I got tats on my arms to cover up. Like, I used to be a cutter. And mm. up until a couple of years ago, I couldn't go to a, I couldn't go on a balcony for too long without having to, well, this might be the right time to, you know? Some weird shit to feel, but I couldn't go out on like a high building without considering. So I've been so, I've been so depression for a good majority of my adulthood. I don't like the options you chose. Like the cutting uh, seems cutting is too, it was what's what we call um gotta stop it right there. Um and we'll definitely get to finishing this particular uh podcast of his Joe Button. But I just wanted to say really quickly that we've got to stop making people who are sexually fluid, especially sexually fluid, fluid black men, feeling as though they need to justify why it is that they are sexually fluid and not straight and cis. Because being straight and cis is not end-all be-all by any means. Um... And I wasn't too comfortable with the way that he would pose some of his questions, making Isaiah Rashad feel as though he needs to justify why it is that he feels, feels what he does. Um, The thing about depression is that it hits uh, manic depression, um, fucking high functioning depression is shit that hits. And if you got it, you fucking know. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to say is that Stop making people in the LGBT community feel as though they need to explain who they are away. Like that doesn't mean that doesn't make any sense either. Um, the thing about sexually fluid men and, and sexually men, black men who like trans women and, and and fucking you know other men, like they deserve to be loved, they deserve to be valued, they deserve to be seen, and they matter. I mean, it is what it is, y'all. And they're not going anywhere anytime soon either. Um, so that's that on that. And the the next part I want to get into is um, some articles on um, some of the recent uh, mass shootings that have happened. Um, we all know about the situation that happened in Buffalo. And um, I, I definitely want to speak to that as well because um, I have so many thoughts. So, so many fucking thoughts. It's not even fucking funny. But um, thank you so much for joining me. 
and I'm excited to get to part two of today's podcast episode. Thank you so much. Hey, what's going on? I am back. Um, you're listening to Frequency Bay, and I am your host, Madam Butterfly. Thank you so much for joining me for uh, the second segment of this. Um, so we are getting into the conversation of the wounded masculine um, and I personally believe that when we're having this conversation that it's, it makes a lot of sense that we would be also talking about, uh, inner child, uh, wounding. And so really quick, we're going to jump into a, about a 10 minute video before we get into, uh, an article. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get straight into it. Uh, the video is called The Unlovable Self, The Wounded Becoming Your Identity. Alright, let's uh, not, not waste any time. And thank you so much for joining me. I'm Alan Robards, a relationship coach and a psychotherapist. I like to talk about attachment injuries and healing attachment trauma. And this video is part of a series, a brainstorming approach to think about healing work. And I'm even framing it as healing work that works. And at the core of that, the approach that I value and that I teach is self-directed healing. You're in the driver's seat. This is about you. It's about your wisdom self, your intuitive self, your healer self. And really identifying when you're in charge of your own healing work, which means you're maturing and your growth. When you're on board and make a commitment, when you're ready, to mature and grow and change. You have to assess where you've been, where you're at, and where you're going. And this takes place in chapters. This takes place in stages. And you have to begin to look at where are you at in this process and what do you need, what's the resources that you have, and what's on the horizon, what resource do you need. This video is about being unlovable, a belief. You're unlovable. You're unlovable. And no matter what you do, you've had this ongoing, chronic, core belief that comes with a feeling, and oftentimes that feeling is shame. There's something fundamentally wrong with you, therefore you're unlovable. And relationships just don't work out. You're unlovable. And at some point, after you go into the feeling, and you get a little bit of sophisticated maneuverability, you get a little bit of spaciousness to start to work with uh, the feeling so it's not as painful, torturous, or overwhelming. And you can begin to distance yourself a little bit. It's, it's like acknowledging, you know, hey, unlovable, hey, unlovable feeling, I know you're there. I'm not taking you seriously as, well, as I once did. Still painful, still, you know, kicks, kicks me in the ass, still confuses me. But you know what, I'm, I'm not as in the dark about this reoccurring old belief. But sometimes we really go into it and believe it. And if we do this enough, over time, we cross a line, we internalize it. We, we go into this very blurry space of confusion where it's no longer just a feeling state of shame where there's something fundamentally wrong and flawed with who I am as a human being and I feel shame for being me because I'm unlovable. It's no longer a belief and a feeling. It gets internalized as a sense of self. Now, I am unlovable. 
It's no longer this is the feeling that I'm experiencing. This is the belief that reinforces the feeling. I am the feeling. I am the belief. I am unlovable. It is me. It is you. So, when you're, on your, you're doing your healing work, and you are looking at your stages of transformation, you're going through different grief processes, there's going to be a point in which you are confronted with the limitation of moving through the world from this internalized place of your It's start your business time. Real estate is booming. I should be booming. <clears throat> Woundedness. If you believe you're unlovable and it came out of some history of being hurt and the result is feeling wounded and then you've over-identified with the wound where now this is who you are, there is a limitation with showing up in the world like that. And chances are you are collecting more evidence to re continually tell the story of your world view in such a way that it reinforces, yep, you, yep, see, there it is again, you're unlovable. So at some point, you're going to go through a grieving process, and that point might be now, this might be something on the horizon that, you are, that I'm planting the seed to know that this is going to happen. But you are going to say, unlovable self, we have been together a long time, and I used to think you were the only self that existed. But I'm realizing I cannot continue to orient to the world, to see the world through the lens of being unlovable, because it disconnects me from myself. Unlovable self was created from a wound, and in order to do something with it and to manage, you made it an identity. And it kept you company. It helped you make sense of what had happened. It helped ultimately, in some kind of twisted, weird way, protect you from being hurt again so that you try to avoid you know, being unlovable. But when it is time, we think of healing work, we think of uh, going through these stages of transformation as walking through our suffering. The, the, the suffering is the path. And when we're on the path of maturing and personal growth, we uh, encounter the river of suffering. We need to get to the other side. We build a raft out of our own suffering. It's our own innate knowledge, the intimacy, the vulnerability. And this is the part about healing work that oftentimes people get a little hung up around how incredibly selfish it is. And it's, it's wildly self-absorbed to be so intimately connected to the, your awareness of your own woundedness. But we need that incredible focus and that awareness to build the raft uh, out of our suffering that's going to take us across the river of suffering. And at some point, when you get to the other side, you need to say goodbye to the raft. You don't drag it around with you as you go hiking. And what's on the other side? On the other side is possibility, spaciousness, freedom, joy, playfulness, creativity, sense of adventure, 
letting in new relationships, learning some new skills, laughter. The levity of laughter is on the other side. But in order to access it, we cannot experience it through the gateway, through the lens, through the barrier of our not good enough self. And in fact, it's the not good enough self going through the river of suffering that's going to get us to the other side. And then we leave the raft of our suffering at the shore, which is itself a process, is a goodbye process. More ritual, more mourning, more grief. And you enter that place of saying goodbye to who you once were. This content, thinking about healing work uh, as a self-directed healing process, is the foundational component of the membership community Improve Your Relationships that I have created, bringing like-minded people together who are committed to realizing this is not something that just changes overnight and this is an ongoing process and there are chapters and there are new resources and new discoveries and new insights and it's all about having courage. There's a profound bravery and courage to sit and look in, to, to be mirrored and reflected back by your own life suffering and to not get confused or hooked into thinking that's who you are. That's uh, giving you a reflection back of your own experience of humanity. It is impersonal. Just because you feel or you notice that you are unlovable and you feel the shame of that doesn't mean that you are. And that's the disidentification that we're talking about here. The reason why we leave the raft at the shore. The reason why we say goodbye to this part of ourself that we believe is unlovable is to open to the possibility that there is something more and different and better. And there's people who've come together to talk about this in the community, Improve Your Relationships. And it's an eight-week program. Uh, every week has a different topic to explore. Uh, it's a reoccurring program. It recycles every eight weeks. You can... I think it's really awesome that he created a really, really great program for people who are... Um, interested in furthering this conversation about the wounded becoming your identity. Um, I think a lot of times that um, when the wounded becomes your identity, it's definitely not something that's just prevalent in, you know, wounded masculine. I think it's, it's pre it can be prevalent anywhere, no matter what gender you are. Um, and uh, I found a lot of what he was saying to be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people that are coming out of the, or coming into their villain era and coming out of the, I guess, kind of martyr uh, perspective in the collective, um, that they've definitely had to uh, acknowledge the, the wounded becoming their identity in relationship to, um, you know, past relationships and or past mistakes and whatnot, because you can't be, you know, um, you can't be victorious and, and be a victim. That's, that's really just not how that goes. Um, but let's get into the article that I was able to come across. And also, of course, I'll be posting this information on my page, so you can find it there. 
Let's talk about wounded masculine energy and healing the the, the father wound. Um, and this article is by Arthur Tut, I believe. And it was published. Yeah, Arthur Tut. And <laughs> this article was published by Arthur Tut. And uh, it was published April 10th, 2021 by Arthur Tut. And it goes as follows. Uh, it opens with a quote that says, Oh, I've been working for you, doing all I can. But working all the time didn't make me a man. And it asks the question, what is wounded masculine energy? Note, see here for the least latest article on how important how impotent men can heal their uh, wounded masculine energy. That goes even more in depth explaining the cause of the wound and how you can step into strong masculinity in a healthy way. Most of us feel a sense of wounded masculine energy, whether uh, originating from a father wound or from being told our lives, being told all our lives that the masculine entity was inherently bad, uh, something or, and or something to be ashamed of. Uh, most boys... Uh-oh. Hmm. It says, most of us feel a sense of wounded masculine energy. Uh, oh, wait, no, hold on. Most boys grew up today being told that being a man is a bad thing, that men are violent, evil, aggressive, oppressive, most boys grow up feeling a sense of disdain for their gender, uh, feeling a complete lack of self-respect, and secretly wishing they'd been born a woman. Wounded masculine energy uh, represents the pain we feel inside towards uh, masculinity, whether it's a man or a woman, we both share in our ability to carry wounded masculine energy in the same ways we're both able to... Uh, Carry Wounded Feminine Energy, the video by Alexandria Moon Amin, illustrates the profound negative impact the wounded masculine can have, especially as she explores the origin of, it, of this masculine energy with her father wound. Let's check this out. Looks like it's an episode. It's about another 10 minutes long. Welcome back. Let's talk about the wounded masculine today, as I promised last week. Have you ever heard about this term? Have you ever been told you are in a wounded masculine space or energy? Well, before I go into the topic, make sure you subscribe to my channel on YouTube. I post videos every week and I would love to hear from you if you enjoy them or not, or you want me to talk about other topics. At the same time, if you found this on Instagram or Facebook, make sure you follow me, like it, share it, comment. I love hearing from you guys. So let's talk about the wounded masculine. What does it mean to be in a wounded masculine energy or state? And where is this all coming from? What are we talking about? What about the manipulated masculine? I have been doing so much 
personal growth and personal development, research, learning, growing, working with healers, and let's check out the rest of this um the rest of this article it says signs of a wounded masculine energy most people are not looking for the signs of most people are not looking for the signs of wounded masculine energy they simply live their lives at a rather unconscious level uh, aware of the pain they feel or and possibly more importantly the pain they cause others because of an inability to address their own wounded energies the following are 16 signs of the wounded masculine and are an opportunity to reflect on yourself. Let's see what she says. Uh, la, 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 la. Unable to connect with, with his father, or I guess a father figure. Um, but I mean, if your father's toxic, then that's neither here nor there. But anyway... Um, well, I wouldn't say like it's neither here nor there, but if your father's toxic and you know they are, in my opinion, your best bet is to figure out where the root cause of that line is coming from and find yourself some uh, support in relationship to that. You don't trust authority figures, uh, sees women as inferior, misogynistic, uh, cannot relax, is constantly on edge, may have anxiety. Uh, indulges in risky behavior like unprotected sex. Um, hmm. Being afraid of vulnerability. Uh, expresses, experiences everything as a personal attack. Uh, is defensive instead of listening. Unable to truly listen and connect with others. Is convinced he's right and refuses to see alternative viewpoints is unable to form close relationships with other men, is unable to be um, intimate with women, being judgmental or feeling superior to others, misogynistic again, denies his emotions, uh, prone to avoid, avoidant behaviors like drinking and partying, uh, fearing making mistakes or embarrassing themselves. Um, I think I'll have something to say about this by the time that we finish, but I'm going to go ahead and continue. Mm. Hmm. Going through a process of embodying your masculine and feminine energies. Going through a process of embodying your masculine and feminine energies. Jake takes you through a journey of connecting back with your inner child, going back to the time you were a kid and re uh, revealing the challenges and traumas you faced. Hmm. Shout out to Jake. <laughs> Hi, Jake. Let me see. The wounded masculine archetype is the man who is, is the person who is con constantly... Uh, abusive, violent, angry, destructive men by nature need to have a certain amount of fire inside them to keep their tribe safe. However, when it goes over the top and becomes a destructive force against the tribe, now is now it becomes a problem. The archetype of the wounded masculine is generally why society has a poor view of uh, masculine energy. The only thing Visible is the pain and destruction. However, the compassion 
However, with compassion and healing, the wounded uh, masculine energy is able to morph from integrate, not morph, integrate from being inwardly destructive to outwardly destructive, outwardly constructive, bringing the deep masculine uh, presence with the... the uh, Bringing that deep masculine presence that the feminine craves. I think I'm going to stop there. This is a really informative uh, article. And I think it's really great. Um, yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I think that one of the biggest traps that a lot of uh, people on their soul journey find themselves on is um, what like what what it's really easy to to get into I think when it comes to being on your journey and trying to um, integrate both masculine and feminine balance that out and heal it and all of that good stuff is um, Creating narratives that uh, don't necessarily, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so um, that's a bit of information about the, the wounded masculine, which I think it's a definitely important, definitely an important conversation. I just felt like the, the article was missing, was missing something. What exactly? I can't quite put my finger on. Um, hope everyone is enjoying their weekend. I've been able to have a. Pretty relaxing Sunday. I'm excited to get into next week. Some books I was supposed to get the mail that I haven't gotten yet. And I think I might have to go to the post office sometime later this next week. See how that goes. And one thing that I want to say to the you know, about, you know, wounded masculine energy is that, um, once it, it's worth it to take the time to get to the root of the insecurity. It's worth it to take the time to get to the root of, um, the, you know, the pain, the pain body. And it's worth it to get to the root of unlocking, you know, uh, what it is, what it is you need to unlock for your inner child and uh, your your inner self and yeah I guess that's that's all I wanted to say computers moving nice and slow as always See if I can find a TED Talk. I'm pretty sure I can.
hard to check out this interview really quick. So the Denver woman breaks down toxic masculinity. Uh, this looks like a nine nine o'clock news um, interview segment. It says the time has gotten a bit of a buzz after the Gillette commercial went viral last month, but in Denver, one woman has been trying to explain it for years. This is Nine News KUSA. Uh, which is located in Denver, Colorado. All right, let's give it a listen. Um, I, you know, so much of my history has been on, um, you know, I went to school for public policy and sociology. I already knew I was interested in anti-racism and anti-sexism work. Um, I've worked for a lot of grassroots nonprofit organizations. Um, so a lot of my personal interest in my educational history has been around these issues. And um, it's, been, it's been basically just through my own um, self-education, my experiences as a woman of color, a black woman specifically, um, and navigating these things myself. I've, I've combined you know, research and scholarship from other folks, my own teachings and thoughts, um, and just um, I wanted to share with community, here's what I'm seeing, here's what folks don't seem to be getting to me about these conversations. Um, and then um, it kind of just blew up after like a lot of folks were interested in um, these offerings. So then I just uh, went forward from there and I said, let me just start offering these re on a regular and professional basis. And, and so that's kind of how your business has kind of grown? Yes. Because people are reaching out mm -hmm. for this. Absolutely. Um, so I have, um, um, I offer uh, community training. So for folks who want to um, educate themselves kind of more informally, um, that's what this offering is today. Um, and then additionally, I do private trainings, um, consultations um, with a lot of um, uh, organizations, businesses. So they have reached out. Um, and a lot of them have heard about me through these community trainings as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what are we doing here tonight? So tonight we are um, doing a community training that's discussing how to dismantle toxic masculinity. And so to discuss that, we're talking about what is toxic masculinity. Um, and I really would like to emphasize that it's about the ways in which our expectations for men and boys harm both them and harm other folks um, who are impacted by sexism, like women and gender nonconforming folks. Um, so this training is about what is toxic masculinity and then how do we um, challenge and start breaking that down and build up a better um, a better system or of beliefs and ideas about me how men and boys should behave. So what is toxic masculinity? So toxic masculinity is basically um, those expectations that are placed on men and boys about their behavior um, um, in terms of, for instance, being violent, um, being sexual, needing to be dominant over other people, um, expectations about what is me masculine type behavior and how men get policed and punished when they're not doing that, called names like um, um, you know, pussy, or you're acting like a woman, or you hit like a girl. Um, ways in which their behavior is kind of policed, and, and we have expectations on them for how they're supposed to behave. Um, naming those things that are actually self-destructive or toxic. So that's what toxic masculinity is. It's not all masculinity. It's a subsection of masculinity that is pretty broad in our culture. And I know tonight we're a lot of focused on the way we're Ooh, she can right down to it. You know what? I love this. Listen to black women. That's all I got to say. Listen, listen to black women. Yes, yes. Why is it so crucial to kind of squash that toxic masculinity um, at a young age before they, 
before they get older? Like, why start addressing that now, like, at that young age? Um, well, when fo when we know when young folks are growing up, like they're learning and trying to um, understand what their place in the world is, um, that's the best time to um, get folks in a space where they can challenge and question what so social expectations are, and they can start shaping um, their own personalities, desires, expectations. Um, they can shape that um, more on a more individual basis and in a more personal way if they know about some of these things and know um, and know how to navigate social expectations. So doing it earlier, um, you can actually prevent, um, like I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, like you can prevent people from going, um, from hurting folks, going down a negative pathway um, early, and then and then they don't have to re-correct and redefine what masculinity is for them. They're already building up um, a more just and equitable kind of definition of masculinity for themselves. How do we break this down? Because you know, I'm Mexican, and in mm -hmm. Latino culture, we have machismo. Yeah, machismo, yeah. So much like, well, mm -hmm. that's part of our culture, and it's not. It, it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's not how it is. So it's like, how do you break down things that, break down that idea of toxic masculinity, you know, boys don't cry, machismo, you should act like this because you're a man. Mm -hmm. That has been ingrained forever. Yeah. Um, I think part, first is like asking, um, men themselves, what does it feel like to live with these expectations? What does it feel like um, to, to exist in a society that wants you to, to, to uh, behave this way and these are expectations? How does that feel for you? Um, have you felt like it's been constraining, limiting to yourself? Um, what does it feel like when other men police you on that? When other men say you're not behaving in a way that's masculine and you need to stop that? Um, I think men themselves are ready to have this conversation about um, the, these expectations aren't allowing me to be my full self, to express my full emotions, to experience emotions that other people um, are, um, you know, experience, uh, to be open to other experiences from, from different people. Um, so I think part of the conversation is actually just flipping it back on men instead of us being like, men, you need to change this because it's harmful to other folks. We say, men, we think this is harmful to you. Why don't you talk more about what your experiences with this culture have been? And I think a lot of men are, are basically being like, yeah, why, why am I invested in this? This hasn't been that great for me. It hasn't been great for other people. Um, and um, I think they're willing to, a lot of folks are open to having that conversation now. Well, this has really blown up. I mean, yes, we've seen a little bit of it. You know, since the Me Too movie stands out. But after the Gillette commercial, uh -huh. I, I, <laughs> I think people are like really taking that Gillette commercial the way they were hoping they would because people were like boycotting it, and I think that they thought it it was downplaying. You know, saying you know men are the worst. And mm. what did you, what did you think about the commercial and kind of how it fits into the event tonight? Yeah, and I actually have the uh, the um, the clip so that we're going to watch it at, as the, the event as well. Um, but um, no, I think um, first of all, I commend Gillette for their bravery and in, in pushing forward this conversation. This still isn't, you know, a national conversation. I don't think yet, or one that a lot of folks are comfortable having. Um, I think that they were trying to say something about. Why are there expectations on men um, to behave in certain ways? And when men do behave in those ways, like street harassment, um, talking over women, um, 
um, mansplaining, things like that. When men are doing those things, um, is that related to the type of masculinity we want men to have? Or do we want men to strive to do something better? And that's how they were presenting the ad to me. Um, folks' reaction to me was more based off of the name. Um, folks even attack me when they're just like, what do you mean masculinity is toxic? And I'm like, you have to understand the concept to even know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so um, folks misunderstand the concept. They take offense at the name. They're looking at it on a surface level. But I really think this is a conversation that is affirming, positive, and it's about how do, how do men get equal access to um, being a holistic and well-rounded person in a way that we strive hard for women to be allowed to do too. And this is about us together combating sexist um, expectations, men and women. So what do you hope people take away from when they, when they leave tonight? Um, I hope they take away a really solid understanding of what is meant by toxic masculinity, um, and um, I hope they understand how some of their own behaviors as men have been shaped by some of these toxically masculine expectations. Um, I hope they walk away with a broader understanding of the gender binary and why that is even a part of the conversation, um, non-binary genders and how our expectations about that have shaped a lot of this. Um, and then I hope they're willing to go home, um, question themselves more, and have conversations with um, with um, other men and boys about how are we um, fixing this culture and how are we working together to end kind of sexism and misogyny as men. You know, obviously you can't help but see that you're a woman and you're leading this. Mm -hmm. Do we need more men to be having these conversations with other men? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of men that I take. Um, I've taken some of their scholarship and information from Byron Hurt, Jackson Katz. They've been having this conversation for a long time. Jackson Katz, you know, this is a 10 year old conversation he's been having, trying to name school shooters and, and why so many men are um, violently lashing out in this way. So um, so men are, um, to me, at the center of this conversation. I am, I am trying to um, uplift feminist scholarship and then other men who are doing this work um, just to join these conversations about gender, feminism, toxic masculinity, and how all of us need to be having different conversations about gender and gender expectations. So men absolutely have a, a place. Um, and Celeste, you talk about it's been a 10-year-old conversation. You were having these before yes. the Gillette commercial. Absolutely. Like the Gillette commercial really mm -hmm. kicked everything going. Yes. Do you see a change when people come to your events and leave, or do you start seeing you know, the wheels working a little bit in men that are here, or mothers that mm -hmm. are raising men? Yeah, so many men that came to my last class, um, I would say a third to a half of the class was men last time. And, um, you know, you could see um, just aha moments happening, folks were really excited, people asking questions, been like, I never thought about it this way before, this makes so much sense. Um, so I think folks are really um, being um, uh, surprised and are excited about where this conversation is leading them and how it's at, um, making visible for them a lot of what has been invisible um, about um, you know toxic masculinity and how masculine um, expectations have affected them in their lives. So so um, I'm uh, folks out of my training um, typically very um, enthused and excited to continue conversation. I know this is kind of a throwaway question, but. What do we hope happens down the line in the future for this conversation, for toxic masculinity, for women, the Me Too movement? Is it kind of all joined? Yes. Um, I think that, I think at the, to me, all of these kind of coalescing of all of these movements means that. Um, we as a society are gonna start rejecting some of these old ideologies, these old ways of thinking about um, uh, gender and sexuality and how, how we relate to each other. Um, I think though we're gonna start um, deconstructing some of those and we're already doing that as a society. But I think 
what's exciting to me is about the future. So what is the future of a comprehensive sex education that has an understanding of toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement? What does that look like? What does it look like when we finally have leaders talking about this and setting up work environments that are responsive to this? And um, when boys are actively talking with other boys about ways to be um, about uh, to be productive and, and live their best lives um, as, as young boys and men. So I think the future is um, now we get to look forward to what is a society without these toxic elements look like? And that's the exciting part that I feel like a lot of folks want to build to, and that's what I'm excited about as well. Is there anything else that I haven't touched on that you maybe think you really want viewers to see or learn about this? Um... I just, I really want to emphasize that um, this work doesn't have to be scary. These conversations don't have to be triggering or targeting for folks. Um, and I work really hard um, to make sure that folks understand that these conversations are in the spirit of what is hurting us, what is not helpful to us, and how do we all work together to change that and then, and then have a society structured on things that are helpful to us and that are um, empowering or rewarding to us. Um, so when I'm talking about gender, I'm not talking about men are bad or masculinity is bad. I'm talking about um, the way in which this has been set up is unfair to both men and women and other uh, gendered folks, and um, we have work to do to fix this and this is um, if you don't know what this is about read a little bit and enter the conversation in an open and willing way and then there's um, there's a lot of good that can come out of this and I hope folks are open to that all right good shit folks um Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Um, and I will be back with the next segment of um, uh, Wounded Masculinity. We're going to get a little bit more into it, um, possibly with a documentary. I, I want to talk about the brain specifically. Um, and its role in this conversation. I think it'll be really interesting to see the role that this plays in relationship to all of this. I think it's really great that, um, you know, men and women are having these conversations because they're so necessary. Hmm. All right, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll get back right back into it. Definitely check for me again. Uh, Madam Butterfly out. Hello there, and thank you so much for, um, thank you so much for sticking with me. This is your girl, Madam Butterfly, and you are listening to Frequency Bay. Uh, it's so great to have you you all here. I appreciate the fact that you decided to take the time out of your precious day and or evening and or night to uh, listen to my podcast episode. I feel like the conversation about actually a genuine conversation, a healed conversation about wounded masculinity and how we could move forward progressively um i believe that that starts with 
men speaking on how it is that they feel genuinely. Um, I think that there's been a lot of conversation around how men feel in regards to being able to access the, the spectrum of their feelings. And I, I believe that there hasn't been as much um, honest uh, honest listening, genuine listening, authentic listening in relationship to that situation. And for those reasons, I personally believe that um, progression as a whole will be more difficult. I still think it's possible, but I I do think it'll be a bit more challenging just because um, a lot of times when men speak, it does more, more, (laughs) more often than not go, you know, unheard for whatever reason. And I'm definitely you know, um, waiting for the day where men can come to a space where they are more comfortable with speaking their truth. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, I think that day will come and that, that day coming has a lot to do with dismantling the patriarchy. Uh, unfortunately men are very intertwined with the patriarchy uh, the way of thinking, the way of being, and what we know as manhood today is very in- intertwined with the patriarchy. Um, but I, for one, am, am definitely excited and uh, invested in the idea of working with men to dismantle said patriarchy. Uh, and shout out to the, the, the fucking frog videos that went viral on TikTok that inspired this podcast episode as well. Because I swear to God, <laughs> that joy almost brought a fucking tear to my eye, I swear, um, very beautiful, very amazing, um, and very healing as well, and I, I hope that the, 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 the men who decided to frolic, um, use that opportunity as a way to access more of a spectrum, more of the spectrum of, you know, the, 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 the emotional spectrum, um, because I, I, I absolutely believe that when it comes to the male presenting in the male spectrum that, or what, what society deems a male to be, I hope that, uh, that the, the male species the male human species, that is, is able to um, access more of the emotional spectrum than they already do because they deserve the entire thing and not just part of it. So that is all that I have for this episode. If you've decided to tune in with me this long, you're certainly appreciated. I hope you learned something new. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, and... Yes, uh, yeah, yet again, thank you so much for joining me, Madam Butterfly out. Oh yeah, and before I go, I do want to follow up this conversation with, um, with the conversation about wounded femininity as well, but before I do that, I want to sit in on a conversation about state-sponsored violence. 
Um, so I'll be doing another topic on state-sponsored violence, and then after that topic, we'll get into the topic of wounded femininity. Uh, I think that there, and I, I don't, I don't really know why people haven't taken the time to connect the dots in relationship to uh, police contracts and police unions and police brutality. And kind of how that entire spectrum is 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 hand in hand, um, but I want to talk about that, and I also want to talk about its relationship to state sponsored violence. You know, I want to talk about this convers talk talk about this on a, a micro level and then also a macro level um, because there are a lot of small nuances. that I think hide in plain sight. And I also want to uh, give credit to the individual who um, originally inspired this idea. So uh, I'm definitely interested in giving a listen on my podcast to the TikTok creator and the uh, TikTok video that I recently duetted in regards to this so yeah stay tuned let's get to it um i'm out